Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 1, Ian Thompson, candidate for Ward 10, Hamilton City Council, recorded on August 1st, 2018. Ian Thompson, you are running for Ward 10 City Councilor. Tell me, who are you? I call it the new Ward 10 first because Winona, Fruitland, and Stony Creek are joining together to become a brand new ward with the boundary changes. Who am I? I'm a father, father of three great kids, and a husband. I'm a family man. That's, that's who I am. Three kids and a beautiful wife and a great family. Why are you running? Of all the questions that you email, I think that is the most important out of all of them. I've been asked that a few times. I'm a teacher, and if I'm blessed enough to be elected, I can take an unpaid leave of absence. And by doing that, I have a job to go back to. My job is guaranteed. I only want to do this for maximum two terms, and I'm only looking at this for one. A while back, I was asked if I'd ever consider running for city council. Didn't think much of it till I was asked again. And my wife actually leaned over to me and said, he should do it. So what I did was I did some homework. I talked to some community leaders. I talked to union organizations. I talked to business. I talked to residents, stakeholders. And it was an overwhelming, yes, they want to change. I feel that I'm in this because I truly want to help people. I feel that I'm in a position in my life. I could either go off, become a principal. I have my papers. I can start pursuing that or pursuing something I think that I can actually help. You know, everyone has a niche for doing something. Your niche is media. I feel I have a niche to help people. And this is one area that I really, truly feel that I can do this. And I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm not doing this for myself. Like I said, I have a job to go back to, and I really want to help people. And that's that's why I'm doing this. How have you contributed to your community and our city? Two specific ways. One, on the past couple of years, I've been part of the Hamilton East Kiwanis, specifically the branch in Stony Creek. There's the East End one with the Boys and Girls Club. And then there's one in Stony Creek. I've been with them for a couple years. We've done many things. Stony Creek Battlefield, when they do the reenactment, we run the, the concessions, went on an Easter egg hunt, many different things there. The greatest thing I think we've done is eight years ago, my son was ill and he had severe epilepsy. And uh, we didn't know much of it at the time. It was, it was to the point that he was having over 20 seizures a day. There was, there was multiple seizures in between. And uh, we had gone to doctors and that, and we ended up at McMaster Children's Hospital. And with McMaster Children's Hospital, they, were, they diagnosed him, and our life just stopped at that point. We went through a full year of different medications. We had to get approval from Health Canada to get medications, even on a ketogenic diet. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You have to get all the carbohydrates out of your body, and you're just having protein. He was eating spoonfuls of butter, and nothing was working. So we met a uh, doctor by the name of Gabriel Ronan. We call him our agent Gabriel, and he put him on prednisone. Within three days, he was seizure-free, and uh, July 4th was six years. So we felt after that we wanted to give back to the community. We have held four fundraisers for the McMaster Children's Hospital, and we raised over $220,000. And I'm sorry, I get a little emotional when I talk about this. And we didn't do this for publicity. We, we felt that we were blessed for someone to save our son, and we wanted to give back. So we've been able to raise that money. Half the money's gone to research for epilepsy. And the other half, we purchased upgrades to the EEG machine to, in the emergency ward. And we've just recently, in the past few months, have purchased from the fundraiser. It's called a cerebral function monitor for the uh, neonatal intensive care unit. 
we've given back to community that way. And it goes even further than, than Hamilton because McMaster Children's Hospital is a regional hospital. And one of the things that somebody about two years ago found our article in The Spectator, they were able to get a hold of us. They got a hold of a doctor we had. And the young girl has been seizure-free for two years. And this was her very first birthday. She was like to have cake because she was on a ketogenic diet. So ours is a little different than many people when they're volunteering. Ours is, we do a lot of work with McMaster Children's Hospital. That's, that's our community uh, uh, outreach. Thank you for sharing that story. What are your two priorities for Ward 10 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? Good question. The two for Ward 10 are the, I call it safer communities. And the second one is power outages. And I know you've seen that because I've made announcements on that. The Safer Communities is rolled into two different categories. Vehicle break-ins are a nightly occurrence in Ward 10. We have been fighting for the longest time to try to get help. I personally had given the Chief of Police a petition of over 600 names a year ago, April, asking for more patrols between 11 and 6 a.m., still waiting for a response. It's unfortunate that we have been told there's only four patrol vehicles between Kenilworth to the Grimsby border from the water to Highway 20. The police are understaffed. They don't have enough to handle what's going on. There's a Winona Stony Creek neighborhood watch. There's photos and videos of guys who are walking with bags, car to car, brazen, and it continues to happen. That along with there's neighborhood, there's speeding in the neighborhood, there's stop sign running also in, in the school zones. And that's not just conducive toward 10. That's happening around the whole city. The way I want to solve this is hiring 30 new police officers to per ward. And the primary responsibility would be handling the vehicle break-ins, the speedings, the stop sign running in the school zone. And understanding that there's emergencies and they'd have to be pulled to other areas. That is the first concern. And the second one, it seems more that this is really centralized to Ward 10, are the power outages. There have been eight last year. I wrote a letter to the president of Lecter Utilities. He wrote back and admitted that we have old infrastructure and has also admitted that they're squirrels. I'm not sure how the squirrels work, but there's something to do with when they're running on the lines. The area's had thousands of new homes that have been developed, and there's thousands more that are going to be developed. There's a lot of development like Costco that's there. That infrastructure, and as he's mentioned, the infrastructure's old. It can't handle what's happening. So my solution to this is, and the mayor sits as a representative for Hamilton on the board of Electra. He makes an extra $30,000 a year to instruct him to bring to the board of directors of Electra to demand that these issues of the power outages be addressed immediately. I can understand there's times, two of the eight of them, when we had that heavy windstorm, it went out. People understand that. Uh, one, a car had hit a pole, knocked it out. It caused a People understand that. But the other six is because of old infrastructure. Those are the major issues of the two that I've been told. And just on a side note, I'm running on issues that people have told me. These aren't the issues that I think they are. I've asked people, what are your concerns? What are your issues? And what are your ideas? And those are the top two that people have told me. And that's what I'm running on. In the ward, top two city priorities? Top two city priorities. First one is, it's very similar, is the vehicle break-ins, the speeding. And that's why... In my policy, I want to see two per ward. It needs to be, it's a whole city issue because it's, I can't just say it's mine because I know it's not mine. So that's one of them. The second priority would be governance. People are at the point that the littlest things really irritate them. The fiscal responsibility, and I know you've been heavily involved in this one, the $30,000 a year lunches. 
and, and I've read your tweets, and it said we're the only city that remains that still gets free lunch. You know, the use of the the area rating, the drones, the the sponsorship, the sixty thousand dollars website for the arts council. There's a lot of councillors using this to get reelected. They're using this for their own self purpose. It's not what we're there for. We're there to to do the greater good for the community. I honestly think that's always a bone of contention for every single person. It might be a small amount of money, but it irritates them because you pay so much in taxes. Your taxes go up every year. You know, these are things people want to see changed and it needs to be done. Too many times our money's being sent for the wrong reasons. What three skills have you demonstrated that make you the best choice to represent us on city council? I think one of the skills is it's like what we're doing right now, having a conversation. I believe that sitting down with people and talking, being able to just talk and come up with solutions. We might not always agree, but we should be able to be able to trust one another. When I was a trustee, I learned something from Ray Holland, and he's still there. He just got acclaimed. When I was a trustee, we'd always send him and negotiate with the OSSTF, the Ontario Secondary School Federation. Within two weeks, he'd always come back with a deal. And I learned the reason why, because him, and I think it was Jim Byers at the time, they had such a respectful relationship that whatever Ray said, he would honor. Whatever buyers would say, he would honor. I'm the type, that type of person. I'm not going to lie to you. If I'm going to say it, that's my word. If I'm wrong, tell me and I'll admit that I'm wrong. I think that's one of the skills we need. And it, it brings back some confidence and it brings back some trust towards your representatives. Another one is my past employment with Dominic Agostino, uh, working in constituency office, helping people, going through the bureaucracy. I have a good skill. I've done a lot of that during this campaign. I'm averaging three or four calls a day, at people asking me for help. I know how to get through that. And being able to help people in that manner, you know, you can't just be a good campaigner. You got to be a good legislator and you got to be a good office manager in order for this to work. Because if you can't combine those three of those, you won't be an effective counselor. So I think that's one of them. And accessibility. People can get a hold of me actually anywhere. And they're actually doing that right now. So I think those are three are important things to for people. They just want to be able to talk to you. They want to be able to sit, try to get an answer. They want to be able to have the understanding that they can approach you. And I think those those are the three that would be a good quality for me. Enough with the uh, easy questions. Let's get to the hard one here. <laughs> yeah, here it comes. <laughs> Hamilton's facing what some reasonably refer to as an affordability crisis. There are around 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and around... 140,000 over the age of 65. Both are facing housing challenges resulting from Hamilton's zoning restrictions, which prohibit the building of multi-unit or clustered housing, which is in scale with single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. As Hamilton grows, how do you plan to address this issue? How will you respond to Nibbyism? And where do you believe this type of housing belongs in Ward 10? All right, this is the toughest question out of all of them, and I racked my brains over this one. And you're going to probably understand why I racked my brains. I based this election on what people are telling me are the issues in the ward. And I'm running on, and you've seen on my website, there's five main issues there that I'm running on. Because I don't believe that when we run as a councillor, that it should be on one issue. You have candidates who are running on just LRT, yes or no. You have some that are, are running on issues because of what they think. I'm running based on what people have told me. And I'm going to be honest with you, Joey. This hasn't come up. So it's hard for me to think, okay, how can I answer this question? I've actually reached out, this was a few months ago, I reached out to Tom Cooper because I know that the Poverty Roundtable, I know that poverty and housing is an issue within the city. Reached out to him because I wanted to learn more. I don't have the answers for everything and I need people that I can contact. And he was gracious enough to tell me that they are going to be holding an information session for candidates to learn more. 
So you're not going to avoid nimbyism no matter what. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm an honest person. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a realist. People are going to say that it can reduce property values and everyone has to be part of this conversation. That has to be a realist. Of the two, my biggest concern are the seniors. There is a shortage of housing for seniors. A lot of the seniors are in a different generation. Their pensions are from a different generation. Their wages were from a different generation and things have changed. When they were working, there was no internet. There was no cell phones. There was cable was never the way we had it now. So their bills are are a lot higher. Those are the major areas to deal with. Where to put them in the ward? It's a tough question because if you look at the old ward 10, the Stony Creek portion of it, there's not as much room to build. There's a lot of room to build in the Winona area. Now we have issues of grocery shopping, amenities, transit, things of that nature. So it's tough to say where because you could... There is land to do it, but not necessarily the right area. Now, what I have, what I would do is, if I'm blessed enough to be elected, and I say blessed enough because I don't want to say if I am, I want to work with the councillors who have this issue in their area. The councillors that, that it's, it's a, I don't, because I don't think it's as a great of an issue in Ward 10 as it may be in other places of the ward to work with them. We're not just elected as for a ward. We are elected as their city. We're in a bit of a renaissance going on. So I want to work with them to help them. How can I help? How can we do this? Not worrying about, you know, let's not worry about boundaries. Let's see what the best situation is for them, the best place to do it, and the best way to, to actually make this work. The Poppy Round Table has been around for a long time, and there's still a lot of poverty still going on. we got to be able to try to figure out a solution here. And a lot of the issues that are here are not necessary because of housing. It's because of job market, the types of jobs that these students are getting, or even coming out of university, they're not getting well enough paying jobs. Our housing market is so expensive. Most kids coming out of university, even a first-year job, paying well, can't afford the homes that we have, especially with the new regulations for mortgages, the tests that they make them do. A lot can't even meet that. So it's not necessarily helping with that. There's other extenuating circumstances that have to be addressed. It is a complicated issue, but to be honest, it has not come up for me but it's something I'm willing to listen and try to work with. And that's just who I am. And I look forward to hearing more of your position as we go on in the election. It's worth reminding people that are listening to this right now that we're recording this on August 1st. You happen to be the first candidate that I'm interviewing. The next question, what are two changes you will propose to improve city services? Well, the one of them, as I said before, is the hiring of the police, 30 police officers. And I mentioned the reason for that before. The second one is the contracts with the private contractors with city snow removal and grass cutting. And this might seem minor to people listening, but it is bad in Stony Creek and Winona. I can remember emailing over 30 different streets on Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve that hadn't been touched. And we already had two or three different uh, snowfalls. And I was at my mother-in-law's and it was bad. It was ice because it, it packed down by that point. I truly believe that a lot of these contracts are not being properly fulfilled. I want to see an immediate review of all these contracts. People are paying enough in taxes. And the first thing they'll tell you, they're, they're paying five, six, $7,000 in taxes and they can't even have their snow removed properly. That would be the two main ones in the ward. What are two changes you will propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton? That's an interesting question because I think, honestly, we do have a good quality of life in Hamilton. I think that if we didn't, the amount of people moving into Hamilton, where I work, three people have recently in the past couple of years moved to Hamilton. They moved to the East End. When I grew up, when you said about the East End or North End, people would say, oh, no, 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 right? That's, that's an old Hamiltonian you know, view. But people are, the, the old parts of town, like the North End, the East End, 
is change. It's, it's the Renaissance, like I call it. There's people coming from different parts of town and loving the old structures, the old, the, the way the houses are. I do believe we have a good quality of life. Now, different people, different, different views of what quality is. It's to maintain the quality of life, I believe. And people should not have to worry about their cars being broken into. People shouldn't have to worry about, you know, is my road clear enough so I can drive? These are the type of things I think that to maintain the quality of life that we have, I think at the end of the day, we're pretty blessed being in this city for what we do have. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked ballots, which enable voters to choose a series of candidates they feel qualified for office. What is your position on ranked ballots? And how will you improve civic governance and engagement in the next four years? Okay, ranked ballots, a conversation willing to have. I took poli-sci at McBaster. I think, did you take poli-sci? No. I, I took poli-sci, Okay, yeah. so we're both poli-sci major? No. Okay, so I'm poli-sci major. We both took poli-sci. Probably didn't learn too much about ranked ballots when we were there. It's always first past the post. Ranked ballot has a validity to it. It's a different option to definitely look at. It's like proportional representation. There's a, there's, you can even look at the point of having at large, you can have, you know, different districts and having those, you know, if you have like an East End district, you can have four councillors out of there. It may not be just the only one. It's a conversation willing to have. And I think it's a conversation that we need to have, but the council should not have this conversation. There is no way that council will approve anything that will put their jobs in jeopardy. There's no one on council right now that has a job to go back to. 35% of people show up to vote. There's 65% of people who don't vote for whatever reason. Rank balloting, different other options, like I'm proposing electoral reform, and I'll get to that in a second, will drastically change the outcome of our representatives. It cannot be in the hands of our elected officials because they will not do it for the right reasons. Send it to a referendum to the city. Send it to our, during our next municipal election, put it as a question. Would you want rank balloting? Have it just a citizens committee you could start to come up and say whether, you know, maybe we'll choose at large. Maybe we'll choose a proportional rep or something of that nature. But put that question on the 2022 ballot asking people what they want. It has nothing to do with the councillors. It has everything to do with the citizens who are voting. That will never change. On to the second question, I want to see electoral reform. I will, if blessed enough to be elected, introduce term limits. Now, I can't, there's many councillors that will say no. They're going to say, oh, it's not in the minister, it's not in the election act. There's absolutely no reason why we cannot send a letter to the minister of uh, municipal affairs and say, and ask for an amendment. If a city or a municipality or a region wishes to have term limits, they may implement it. Just like when the mayor had said back in 2014 that he wants to see online voting. Well, council said no to that. That didn't happen. Why? Because that will drastically change the outcome. So along those lines, we need to have those term limits. I like to see also online voting. I would introduce online voting. That will once again drastically change that outcome. I mean, people are busy. There's a busy life. So a lot of people go, oh, today's election day. You know, if they have the, and I believe they can do it. Aurora does it. Bradford does it. Online voting. If I can do my banking online, if I can submit my taxes online, if I can use my credit card online, why can't I vote online? We change. We're in the 21st century. We're moving along. This is technology we're using. There's no reason why we can't do that. But it has to be out of the hands of the councillors, the elected officials, because they will do it for the wrong reasons. It needs to be in the hands of citizens. Let them make that decision. And I'm not using the, the referendum as an excuse. We're talking about democracy here. We're talking about how people vote, how people choose their representatives. Let them choose it. They're the ones it affects. 
How will the City of Hamilton's vision statement guide your decision in hiring a new city manager? And what are you looking for in a new city manager's office? I read the city's vision. The vision's good. It's very, very vague. It's very open-ended. But it makes sense. Everyone has a vision. School boards have a vision. It's like the new trend that's happened in the past, maybe 10, 15 years. Every, companies have visions. They have mission statements. And I think whatever manager you hire is going to follow that because that's part of the mandate and they're going to do that. I think more of the question is, is what type of manager that we want. It could be from in-house or it could be someone from outside the city. Because I think the very first thing before, the vision may need to change because we might have a drastic change in council. We have four new councillors coming. Is that necessarily going to be the same vision? I know the vision goes to 2025, I believe it is. We may have to revisit that vision. Things are changing. It's a new council. It's tough to have a vision for the old council when there's a new council coming in. But I think the question is more of who and the type of manager we want. What I would like to do the first thing, if I'm blessed not to be elected, is talk to some of the frontline workers. What are the problems within the city, within the employment portion? What's going on? Are you finding there's difficulty? It could be running extremely well. You need to find out what are the problems and if there are. You need to have a city manager that is going to be able, if there are, willing to fix those. Someone who's going to be friendly and be able to work with all the other employers. Because we have a, you got everything down from the crossing guards, which are probably, unfortunately, one of the lowest paid, but the safety of the kids, you know, all the way up to city managers. I've heard stories that a lot of managers aren't happy. We lose a lot of city managers within our city. Is the cultural environment in there not something that people want to stay with? And if that is, that's a bit of a problem. And I would do this off the record so I know people are comfortable by telling me this. I think also we want a city manager who is going to be more visible to the public, someone who's more in guess got here, he or she has her job to do, but also part of the community. If you look at school board directors, they're always going to schools. They're always part of it. So, you know, teachers are seeing them, staff are seeing them, community seeing who the directors are. I think we need more, and that would be fantastic just for how people see the city. Do you see who the city manager is? Down to earth person. That's what we need to see. So someone who's willing to be able to be out there as well. And last but not least, and I learned this from Dominic's office, you need, because the city manager is the person responsible to council. Staff is responsible to the city manager. That's just how the chain of command works. When I worked for Dom, I call him Dom instead of Dominic, we were very comfortable to go to him to say either we think this is wrong or we think we need to do it this way or give our opinions. And we knew at the very end of the day, whatever decision he made was the decision. I want to see a city manager that's comfortable to come to me and the rest of council, whether it's privately, whether it's at council, and give his or her opinion, and not have to worry about be reprimanded, but at the end of the day knows that we can ask questions at the end of the day that knows that we make the decision and he or she follows it. Because you have to be able to have those conversations. The best organizations run when the, the people at the top are honest with each other and have no problem and not afraid of their of who their boss is because they know they respect their decisions, they respect their opinions, but they know who makes the final decision. I think that is probably the key of a city manager to be able to do that. So sorry for changing the question slightly. I just think that's more of the issue when it comes to city manager. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do this? I think I've probably answered that in a lot, <laughs> a lot of the previous questions. I guess it depends how you look what politics are. Yeah, there's the political portion of this. Uh, you've got the other side of this. You can't just be a good politician. You can't just be a good campaigner when you're this. You've got to be a good legislator. You've got to be 
you got to be a person that can relate to the people, uh, the residents. I mean, you can't think of this as, hey, this is my ward. You can't say the word my ward. you got to be able to work with people. And so allocating different resources, coming up with solutions, compromises, you got to be able to be willing to admit you're wrong. You've got to be willing to listen, and you've got to be willing to have a conversation, an adult conversation. We'll get heated. We sometimes disagree. Yes, but that's how we're going to move forward. And I don't think that there are a lot of them out there that if it's not their decision, that's it. They don't actually look forward. And I'm going to use one example. I was at City Hall. This was a few months back. It was when the Ministry of Environment said that, for example, the E.D. Smith land could not be developed. They also mentioned a portion of land right in the corner of 50 Road and Barton Street, right beside St. Gabriel's. Now, if you've seen the land, it's really useless. It's maybe two or three acres, but you can't do anything on it. The school's there. There's a development there. There's a railroad tracks, and there's Barton Street, and then there's 50 Road. Because the ministry said no, Councillor Matt Green put his hand up and said, okay, because the ministry said it, no. But I tweeted him, and I said, at least come out and take a look at the piece of land. Anyone who is going to look at it is going to realize, okay, probably we really don't, we can let that one go. But this is an example of you need to do some homework first. Yes, you represent your ward, but there's people coming in from Ancaster. There's people coming from Bimbrook. They're coming from Flamborough with issues that affect them. Just because I don't live out there or we don't live out there, it does not mean we can't talk to them and figure out, well, what are your concerns? Staff's going to tell you one story. But people are going to tell you a different story, too. And that's how you make educated and, I think, proper decisions at City Hall. So that's the way I look at it. Like I said, there's the separation of the politics and the separation of the legislative process there. And so to wrap up, we're at the early part of the campaign right now. Do you have some closing remarks? No, I'm just, I'm really humbled and blessed by the support and people who are contacting me and the people I've been talking to. It, it is, uh, you know, anyone who's willing to put their name on a ballot. I think first and foremost needs to have credit because there is a huge sacrifice. I got three kids and a wife, and if I did not have such a understanding wife and family, either I would be divorced by now or uh, I wouldn't be doing this because I asked for her blessing first before I did this because it's tough when you got a family. One story, during the heat wave, I was canvassing, and one gentleman offered me a, a bottle of water. He didn't have to do that, and it w didn't say he was voting me or anything like that. I've met a lot of nice people, and it's, it's just been a true, true humbling experience. It's, it's really enjoyable. It's really fun. Ian, thank you so much for joining us here for this conversation. I want to thank the Hamilton Public Library. We were able to use the Red Hill Library Sound Studio to record this podcast. Good shout out to a city. And I want to thank all the supporters of the public record that enabled me to do this. This is the first interview, and we will loop back to Ward 10 as soon as we get completed all the interviews. It's going to be a race that I think all of us across the city are going to be watching closely. And I want to thank you for doing this. It's a very comfortable scenario. I, this is my first real type of audio interview like this. You've made it very comfortable to make me allow me to be prepared for it. And thank you for making this a, a very, I don't want to say easy, but a very non-stressful event. So, And for doing this, I mean, you're doing 180 candidates. You're doing quite a service to the community. Thank you. This has been episode one of the 155 podcast, the public records interviews of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. The public record is Hamilton's local independent reader funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the public records press club. Visit the to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. 
To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.